We are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own minds. And together, we can take them back. Welcome to Wellbeings, the podcast that keeps you cool, calm, and connected with your host, Dominic Bowden. Welcome to Wellbeings. My name is Dominic Bowden, and thank you so much for being here. This has really been an amazing experience learning along with everyone. And man, none more than from this week's guest, the author of the book that, I don't know, really changed everything for me, Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Our next few episodes are all about connection. And look, it feels like we're living in a time of incredible technology that we're using to upgrade our lives in so many positive ways. But why does it feel like it's so hard to pay attention, to concentrate? It sometimes feels like we're going backwards. For me anyway, focusing, it feels harder than ever before. And of course, a run on from that is it affects our ability to connect. Now, someone recommended this book to me earlier in the year, uh, and it really explains why this is happening. And the good news is it's not entirely our fault. So how do we resist distraction? And more importantly, how do we get our attention back? Today, we talked to multiple New York Times bestselling author, Johan Hari. He's been interviewed by every major media outlet in the world for this book. He has two of the most watched TED Talks of all time, and really it's a personal story. He looks at the forces that are robbing us of our attention and how we can reclaim our mind and our lives. This was such a good conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Just an amazing storyteller and an epic chat. This is Johan Hari. But before we get to that. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Brother. I am so happy to have you here. Let me tell you right now that this book, it scared the hell out of me, okay? And I can imagine you were putting this together. You're such an incredible researcher. You're such an incredible writer. But how hard was it for you not to be preachy when you would be a dinner party guest when you were putting this thing together? So it's so interesting because I think almost everyone is really worried about this. And I think preachiness comes when you stand above people and you act like, oh, I'm so much better than you and I know the answers that you don't. And I don't think that that's just not how I feel, right? So for me, I wrote this book because I noticed that my own attention was getting worse with each year that passed. Things that required deep focus that are so important to me, like reading books, having proper long conversations, watching films, we're getting more and more like running up a down escalator. You know what I mean? Like we could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And I noticed this seemed to be happening to huge numbers of people around me. You know, the average office worker now focuses on only one task for only three minutes. For every one child who was identified with serious attention problems, when, when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred kids who've been identified with those problems. So I wanted to really 
to figure out why this is happening, right? And most importantly, how can we put it right? So I ended up going on this big journey all over the world from Melbourne to Miami to Moscow, actually to New Zealand as well, to interview over 200 of the leading experts on attention and focus. And what I learned from them is there's actually scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make your attention worse. And loads of the factors that can make your attention worse have been hugely increasing in recent years. Obviously, we think mostly about technology. That's actually just one of the 12. The factors range really widely from the food we eat to the air we breathe to the way we work. And But what I learned most importantly is your attention didn't collapse. Your attention has been stolen from you by some really big forces. But once you understand those forces, we can begin to get our attention back. Well, one of the things that really landed on me, and so many of my decisions have changed since I read the book, is when you were talking about diets back in the 1960s when stress started to increase and food became more processed, we were getting more unhealthy and we were told you've got to go on diets to get better, to lose weight. And I think the book is so powerful because it shows us the world we live in right now, the influences, the circumstances, the environments, it's what's causing all this problem. Yeah, I think, you know, when I started working on Stolen Focus, you know, I was angry with myself. I kept thinking, well, what's wrong with you, right? But what I actually learned is that what's happening at the moment is it's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day and then leaning forward and going, you know what, mate, you might want to learn how to meditate. Then you wouldn't scratch so much. And go, right, well, I'll learn to meditate. That is really valuable. But you need to stop pouring itching powder on me. And it's funny, there was a moment this really became... I began, it was the moment I decided to write the book. I've got a godson. And when he was nine, he developed this brief but freakishly intense obsession with Elvis Presley. And it was unbelievably cute because he didn't know that impersonating Elvis had become a kind of cheesy cliche. So I think he was the last person in the history of the world to do an entirely sincere impression of Elvis. And when I used to tuck him in at night, he would get me to tell him the story of Elvis's life over and over again. Obviously, I tried to skip over the bit at the end where he died on the toilet. And one night I mentioned Graceland where Elvis lived. And he looked at me really intensely and he said, will you take me to Graceland one day? And I said, yeah, sure. The way you do with nine-year-olds, knowing next week it'll be Lapland or Legoland or whatever. And he said, no, really, do you swear you'll take me to Graceland one day? And I said, I absolutely swear. And I didn't think of that moment again for 10 years until so many things had gone wrong. When he was 15, he dropped out of school. And by the time he was 19, this will sound like an exaggeration, it's not. He spent literally all his waking hours alternating between his iPhone and his iPad. And his life was just a kind of blur of WhatsApp, YouTube, porn. And and it was almost like he was kind of whirring at the speed of Snapchat when nothing still or serious could touch him. And one day we were sitting on my sofa just behind where my laptop is here. And I've been trying to get a conversation going with him all day and just I couldn't get any traction going. And to be totally honest with you, I wasn't that much better. I was staring at my own devices. And I suddenly remembered this moment all those years before. And I said to him, hey, let's go to Graceland. And he looked at me completely blankly. He was like, what are you talking about? Um, And I reminded him, I said to him, look, let's go all over the South. Let's break this numbing routine. But you've got to promise me one thing, which is that if we go, you'll leave your phone in the hotel during the day because there's no point going if you're just going to stare at your phone the whole time. And he thought about it really carefully. 
And he said, yeah, let, let's do it. I want to do it. And I think it was two weeks after that, we took off from London Heathrow to, to New Orleans where we started. Yeah. And a, a couple of weeks after that, we arrived at Graceland. And when you get to the gates of Graceland, this is even before COVID, there's no person to show you around. What happens is they they hand you an iPad and you put in uh, earbuds and the iPad shows you around. It says, go left, go right. Every room you're in, it tells you about that room. And every room you're in, there's uh, an image of that room appears on the iPad in front of you. So we're walking around Graceland and it has this weird effect that everyone just walks around staring at their iPad and it's getting kind of slightly irritated by this. And, and we got to the jungle room, which was Elvis's favorite room in, in Graceland. It's um, full of fake plants. And I'll never forget this. There's a Canadian couple standing next to us. And the man turned to his wife and he said, honey, this is amazing. Look, if you swipe left, you can see the jungle room to the left. And if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And I laughed out loud because I thought he was kidding. And I turned and looked and him and his wife were just swiping back and forth. And I, I leaned over and I said, but hey, sir, there's, um, there's an old fashioned form of swiping you could do. It's called turning your head because we're actually in the jungle room, right? You don't have to look at it on a screen. We're, literally, we're there. Yeah. And they looked at me like I was completely deranged and backed out of the room. And I, I turned to my godson to, to laugh about it. And he was standing in the corner staring at Snapchat because from the minute we landed, he just couldn't stop. He, he could not stop. So I did that thing that's never a good idea with teenagers. I tried to physically wrestle the phone out of his hands unsuccessfully. And I said to him, look, I know you're afraid of missing out, but this is guaranteeing that you'll miss out. You're not present at your own life. You're not showing up at the events of your own existence. And he, he stormed off and I wandered around Memphis on my own that day. And I, I found him that night at the Heartbreak Hotel down the street where we were staying. And he was sitting by the swimming pool looking at his phone and and I went up to him and I apologized for getting so angry. And, and he didn't look up from his phone, but he said, <clears throat> I know something's really wrong. I just don't know what it is. And that's when I thought, okay, I need to figure out what's going on here. I, I think these, I relate so much to the story and to the book. And that feeling of overwhelm, I think, is something that we can all really relate to. Uh, the, the, the idea that there is just so much more to consume each and every day. I wake up and every day I feel I'm behind. Someone's mad at me. So where do we start? I mean, I think the book is such a great read uh, to, to kind of get us on the right path. But where do we start in our thinking? Uh, and, and, and also, how do we alert people to how bad it's got? So we start by, I think, explaining to people the best evidence about the 12 factors that are doing this to us. I'll give you an example of one that I think will be playing out for everyone listening or watching. Um, I went to MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and interviewed one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, uh, an amazing man named Professor Earl Miller. And he said to me, look, you have to understand one thing about the human brain more than anything else. You can only consciously think about one or two things at a time. That's it. This is just a fundamental limitation of the human brain. The human brain has not significantly changed in 40,000 years. It's not going to change on any time scale. And if I was going to live to see, you can only think about one or two things at a time. But what's happened is we've fallen for a kind of mass delusion. The average teenager now believes they can follow six or seven forms of media at the same time. So what happens is Professor Miller and his colleagues, they get people into labs, not just younger people, older people too, and they get them to think they're doing more than one thing at a time. 
And what they discover is always the same. You can't do more than one thing at a time. What you do is you juggle very quickly between tasks. You go, like, wait, what did he just ask me? What's this message on WhatsApp? What does it say on the TV there about Ukraine? Wait, what did you just ask me again? So we're constantly juggling. And it turns out that juggling comes with a really big cost. The fancy term for it is the switch cost effect. When you try and do more than one thing at a time, it turns out you do all the things you're trying to do much less competently. You make more mistakes. You remember less of what you do. You're much less creative. And that sounds like a small effect. It's actually a really big effect. I remember there was a a small study backed by a wider body of evidence that really landed this with me. Hewlett Packard, the printer company, got a scientist in to study their workers. And he split the workers into two groups. And the first group was told, get on with your task, whatever it is, and um, you, you, you won't be interrupted, right? You just you just have just have time to do the task. And the second group was told, get on with your task, whatever it is, but you're going to have to at the same time answer a heavy load of email and phone calls, right? So pretty much how most of us live. And at the end of it, the scientists studied the IQ of both groups. The group that had not been interrupted scored on average 10 IQ points higher than the group that had been interrupted. To give you a sense of how big that is, if you or me smoked a fat spliff together now and we got stoned, our IQs would go down in the short term by five points. So in the short term, being chronically distracted and interrupted is twice as bad for your IQ as getting stoned. You'd be better off sitting at your desk, doing one thing at a time and smoking a spliff than sitting at your desk, not smoking a spliff and being constantly interrupted. Now, clearly you'd be better off neither smoking a spliff nor being interrupted, obviously, just in case anyone's wondering. But you can see how this is why Professor Miller says, um, we are currently living in a perfect storm of cognitive degradation as a result of being constantly interrupted. Now we can deal with these factors, but first we've got to understand them. I guess just for me, it sort of feels like I'm just not living my life as fully as I could be. You know, you talk in the book about boredom and sustained reading. I can't remember the last time I got bored, you know, always something to do. And I don't read books anymore, I listen to them. And it's just these small things that I think are affecting the deepness of how we live. Think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to play the guitar, whatever it is, that thing that you're proud of required a huge amount of sustained focus and attention. And when focus and attention break down, your ability to achieve your goals breaks down. Your ability to solve your problems breaks down. You actually become less competent, so you feel worse about yourself. But when you start to get your attention back in the ways that I learned about from you know more than 200 scientists all over the world, um, you, you, you start to be able to achieve your goals better again. You start to be able to solve your problems better again. So this is really important. It's really important at an individual level. It's actually really important at a collective level as well. It's not a coincidence that we're having the biggest crisis in democracy since the 1930s all over the world at the same time as we've lost our ability to pay attention to each other and listen to each other and think deeply. Democracy requires deep thought too. So yeah, I think this is a really important question. And anyone who wants to achieve anything in that in your life, the first thing you want to get right is your ability to think clearly and pay attention. I kind of want to ask you, Johan, on a personal level, the people in your life that you really want to make sure this message gets through to. How have you found has been the best way to communicate with them? You know, what's landed? 
Well, I think people are really hungry. People know this is happening, right? He's a very unusual person who says, no, I'm very happy with my attention. I'm very happy with my kids' attention. I don't see any difference from the past, right? That'd be a, a very peculiar kind of person. There are some people who say that, but not many. Um, people are really hungry for solutions. And the really important thing is there are solutions. They're really achievable. I saw them being put into practice all over the world. Um, and for all of the 12 factors that are harming our attention and focus that I write about in Stolen Focus, I think there's really two levels at which we've got to tackle them. I think of them as defense and offense. So there are loads of things that each of us can do as isolated individuals to protect ourselves and our children. Obviously, a lot of the book is about our kids. All right. Well, I'd love to dig into that if we could. What's one example that's really worked wonders in your life? Um, over there in the corner of the corner of the room just there, I've got something called a K-safe. It's a plastic safe. You take off the lid, you put in your phone, you put on the lid, you turn the dial, and it locks away your phone for anything between five minutes and a whole day, right? So um, I use that for four hours a day to do my writing. I won't sit down and watch a film with my partner unless we both imprison our phones because it does my head in if he starts pulling out his phone and starts Googling things. I won't have my friends around for dinner unless... People put their phone in the phone jail, right? And at first, people are really anxious and they sort of invent this reason like, oh, but I need to be contactable. I'm like, you're not Joe Biden. You don't need to give orders about Ukraine. The world can live without you for an hour and a half, right? The, the, and it's really interesting because people are very, as I was, it's enormously anxiety provoking at first, but people quickly realize the pleasures of focus are so much greater than whatever crappy alert you might miss, you know, in a couple of hours with your phone away. So that's one of dozens of things that I advocate in the book that we need to do at an individual level to protect ourselves and our kids. But I want to be really honest with people because I don't think most books about attention are being honest with people. Those things are really valuable. They will massively help. I'm passionately in favor of them, but on their own, they're not enough because this is being done to all of us by some really big and powerful forces, which is why we need to go on offense against the forces that are doing this to us. And I guess that is the big question. How do we even begin to take on these forces? So I'll give you an example of something in the history of New Zealand that I think can really help us to have a model for this. So you're, I think we're probably about the same age. You'll remember when, when we were kids, the standard form of petrol in New Zealand and in Britain and Australia across the entire world was leaded petrol, right? I can remember my mum putting it in her mini. Yeah. And the um, standard, a bit before our time, it was totally normal that people painted their homes with leaded paint. And it had been known by scientists for a long time that exposure to lead is really bad for your brain and particularly screws up children's ability to focus and pay attention. So what happened is a group of ordinary mums, what we used to call housewives in New Zealand and in Britain, learned about this and were like, well, why are we allowing this? Why are we allowing, you know, the lead industry to, to screw up our kids' brains? And of course, bear in mind, if it's in petrol, it's pumped out yeah. into the air, everyone was breathing in lead, right? And everyone's yeah. brain was being harmed by it. And it's really important to notice what those mums didn't say. They didn't say, so let's ban all petrol. They didn't say, so let's ban all paint, just like no one is saying today, rightly, let's ban smartphones, let's all join the Amish and give up our technology. What they said wisely is let's deal with the specific component in the paint and the petrol that is so badly 
harming our attention, the lead. So they fought these mums. They fought for years to ban leaded paint and leaded petrol. They fought for their kids. And everyone listening knows they won, right? We don't have any more leaded paint. We don't have any more leaded petrol. The Centre for Disease Control has calculated the average child is now three to five IQ points higher than they would have been had those mums not done that, right? Now, to me, that's a really great model of going on offense that we can all learn from. There's something in the environment that was harming our attention. Those mums learned about it. They were smart about it. They found out what was the specific element and they got it out of the environment. Now, there are loads of things in our environment at the moment that are harming our attention. And in addition to protecting ourselves at an individual level, I think we've got to learn the lesson of those mums. We've got to take on those forces. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I, I, I guess just with the release of the book and, and the huge response that you've got from around the world, here we are you know, in New Zealand uh, talking to you about this, how optimistic are you? Like, what's the response been like that's kind of made you feel like, okay, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe this movement is going in the right direction. My level of optimism is based on what we do now, right? Because at the moment we're in a race. On the one hand, you've got all of these 12 factors that are invading our attention and focus, many of which, if we don't act, are going to become more powerful. Paul Graham, one of the biggest investors in Silicon Valley, said on the current trajectory, uh, the world will be more addictive in the next 40 years than it was in the last 40. Think about how much more addictive TikTok is than Facebook, right? Now imagine the next crack-like iteration of yeah. TikTok in the metaverse. Yeah. Well, it's one side of the race. On the other side of the race, there's got to be a movement of all of us, like those mums in New Zealand, saying, no, no, you don't get to do this to us. No, you don't. This is you don't get to screw up our kids' brains. No, you don't get to screw up our brains. No, that's not a good life. No, we choose a life where we can, we're sure we have distractions and fun, but we also have moments when we can think deeply, where our children can play outside, where we can read books. Now, that is a future we can achieve. I've been to the places that started to make those changes, such as a great example in, in New Zealand that I can talk about. But it won't happen unless we fight for it. We've got to decide that we value attention. We've got to understand what the forces are that are really badly harming our attention. And we've got to fight like hell. And if we fight like hell for our attention and we deal with these bigger forces, uh, which doesn't mean giving up our tech and doesn't mean giving up you know, food or any of these things, it means that we, we, we adjust those things. We can deal with them. You know, Dr. James Williams, who's arguably the leading philosopher of attention in the world, who used to work at the heart of Google, said to me, you know, the axe existed for 1.4 million years before anyone ever said, guys, should we put a handle on this thing? The entire internet has existed for less than 10,000 days, right? We can deal with these problems if we want to, but we've got to decide to do it. It won't be dealt with on its own, right? If we just leave it to the powers who currently control it, they're going to carry on doing what they're doing and they're going to do it better and better and our attention is going to get worse and worse. And we'll look back nostalgically on the day when we took the average office worker focused for a whole three minutes, right? But we can deal with this. So I'm optimistic we can do it because I've seen it happen before, right? 
think about everyone listening. I would say, think about how your grandmothers were treated, right? When my grandmothers were the age I am now in 1963, you know, they weren't allowed to have bank accounts because they were married women. Um, my Swiss grandmother wasn't allowed to vote. For both of them, it was legal for their husbands to rape them as it was legal everywhere in the world for a man to rape his wife, right? I don't want to underestimate how much further we've got to go in achieving liberation for women, but my God, no, even the craziest wingnut doesn't suggest we go back to that, right? Hmm. So all sorts of things. And you had basically, you know, thousands of years of women being treated like that. And then a very short period of time, we make the incredible progress we've made, although we still have a lot further to to go. So absolutely, we can take on big forces. Humans have taken on big forces before. These forces that are screwing with our attention, most of them are relatively recent phenomena, right? A lot of us can remember a world when they were not so powerful. So absolutely, we can deal with this, but we've got to understand what's happening. We've got to understand all of the 12 factors, which include some things that I hadn't ever really thought about until I did the research for the book, and we've got to deal with them. Well, you, you just mentioned there New Zealand. I think the irony is people look at this part of the world and they go, they've got it all figured out. You know, they, we, we've been called the world's plan B over the last couple of years, but we are going through it, man, like, uh, you know, just as much as everybody else. And, you know, I'd love you to share the story of you coming down here to New Zealand and seeing how some people down here are kind of changing up the behaviour. Yes, I've, I've got family in New Zealand, and it was it was an amazing experience to to come. And yeah, so there's one specific experiment in New Zealand. I think, firstly, everyone in New Zealand should be really proud of, but also is actually inspiring people all over the world and is, deals with one aspect of our attention crisis. So we are exhausted and burned out, right? The, the, the way we worked before the pandemic and the way we've worked over Zoom since have really burned people out. That This new technology means that people are constantly plugged in which makes work much more stressful. You know, when we were kids, everyone I knew when they came home, that the, the work was finished, right? Um, now, you know, all, half the economy feels they have to check their phone all the time until they go to sleep, right? Um, so New Zealand, in New Zealand, there was a really fascinating experiment in this. There's a man called Andrew Barnes. I suspect most people watching and listening will be somewhat familiar with this. So Andrew's uh, originally British and he was a, a financial trader. He worked in the city of London, um, when the British financial sector was first deregulated. So if you remember those videos of men shouting at each other across the stock exchange floor, sell, sell, buy, buy. He was one of those dudes, right? And in that world, you know, this is not language I would use, but this is how they used to describe it. You know, you were a wuss if you arrived at work later than 7am and you were a pussy if you left work uh, earlier than 7pm. So for half the year, Andrew never saw the sun because he would leave for work in the dark and he would get home in the dark. He didn't have a good relationship with his wife. He didn't have a good relationship with his kids. His marriage fell apart. And Andrew's a wise man. And he was like, look, this, this is not a good life. So he left for New Zealand and he became an incredibly successful New Zealand businessman. And one day he, he owns a company called Perpetual Guardian, which administers trusts and wills and employs yeah. about yeah. Uh, more than 240 people. And one day Andrew was on a plane in 2018 and he read an article in a business magazine, a summary of scientific studies that had discovered the average worker only focuses on their work for three hours a day, right? So they're at work for at least eight hours a day, but they're only focused on their work for three hours a day. And Andrew was like, God, this is bad for everyone, right? This isn't good for the employer. This isn't good for the employee. That whole life is passing them by doing something they probably don't want to do. And, you know, actually 
five hours a day that, you know, this is, this is not a good deal. So he had an idea. And it, of course, he remembered the time when he was doing a job he hated and becoming depressed. Um, <clears throat> so he had an idea. He figured, you know, if everyone who works for me, if we move to a four-day week, not a five-day week, I just paid everyone the same amount as for five days. And then they spent more time resting, chilling out, doing the stuff they want to do. If that meant they become just 45 minutes more productive a day, that would just pay for itself, right? So Andrew did a conference call with everyone who worked for Perpetual Guardian. And he said, good news, everyone. I'm going to give you an extra day off a week, but I'm going to pay you just the same. And his head of HR literally fell over. His staff were like, wait, what's the trick here? What's going on? And the experiment began. So I interviewed everyone who worked at their offices in Rotorua. Um, and this was, the, the experiment was monitored by scientists and they discovered a really fascinating thing, which is that the staff at Petrol Guardian achieved more in four days than they had in five. I don't mean per hour they achieved more. Overall, they were more productive, not less, right? They, they actually wow. got more done. It's almost hard to believe. And this is something that's been found all over the world in four-day week experiments from Microsoft in Japan, where their productivity went up by 40%, to uh, Toyota in Gothenburg in Sweden, where the number of cars they repaired, the, their repair rate went up to 125% of what it had been wow. before. And at first, when I was interviewing Andrew and all the people at Perpetual Guardian, to be honest, I just thought, I don't believe this. This is too good to be true, right? Even though I could see it being monitored scientifically, I was like, this can't be, it doesn't make sense. How can, how, can, how can you work so much less and achieve so much more? But I only really understood it when I went to Stanford University and interviewed a guy called Professor Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's the leading expert on organizational behavior in the world, one of them. And he said to me, it's not rocket science, just ask any sports fan. Do you want your team to walk onto the pitch exhausted, knackered, you know, having worked 15 hour day. Of course not. Yeah. You want them to walk onto the pitch well rested and up for the game. Yeah. He said, well, yeah. why would the rest of us be any different? The book talks so much about what we can do as individuals, but how can we all come together as a community, as a collective as well? One of the big collective changes I think we need to pursue is we need to move to a four day week. The technology we use, the environment we live in is just more exhausting than the world was in the past, right? And one way we can deal with that is by working less and working better and giving people more genuine downtime. I think the experiment in New Zealand showed that incredibly well. I think all the other experiments all over the world are showing that. So that's one mm. of five or six really big changes I think we need to make alongside, you know, regulating big tech, dealing with the food industry. There's a whole big range of them we can talk about. Uh, restoring childhood is one of the really big ones. Um, I can talk more about any of them, but yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to deal with these big factors as well as the individual factors. In closing, I guess, you know, for me, it's about how do we live a meaningful life? And we are humans doing, you know, and you talk about what it's doing to our kids uh, just you on a personal level, right? I mean, how, how much has it deepened your human experience and how important is it for people to think about it and not just to be one of those books that they read and then a year later go, oh yeah, I read that and have not put anything into practice. I mean, how do we make sure that this lands on people? Because it is about the life we're living, you know, and, and that is, that, that's the only one we've got. Yeah, and there's Dr. James Williams, who I mentioned before, said to me, look, imagine you're driving somewhere and someone throws an enormous bucket of mud over your windshield. 
It doesn't matter what you've got to do when you get to your destination. It doesn't matter how important it is. The first thing you've got to do is get that mud off your windshield. Because if you don't get the mud off your windshield, you can't go anywhere, right? And I would argue the attention crisis is like that. It's not the biggest issue in the world, but it's the issue we have to deal with first. Because we can't deal in your personal life, in your work life, or in the wider society If you can't pay attention, you're going to just struggle to get any of it done, just like you're going to struggle to drive anywhere with a windshield covered with mud, right? So this is this is this is the the building, this is the texture of your whole life, is what you pay attention to. And when you start, you know, in terms of like people putting it into practice, when you start to get your attention back, it's so transformative, it's so powerful. Um it's a feeling of becoming competent again, right? And the, the ways that I learned about from these scientists that I've used to boost my attention have been such a, a joy and a gift to me. Um, and, it, you know, it's hard. It's particularly hard at first. It's like going to the gym if you haven't done it for years. It's It gets easier the more you do it, uh, although it's always a challenge to some degree. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the, joy, the pleasures of attention are so much greater than the shitty pleasures of being distracted by Instagram all the time or whatever. So yeah, I, I'm really optimistic that we can do this. And look, we have to do it because we're not going to be able to deal with our big crises like cl- the climate crisis. A species of people who are spending their time alternating between TikTok and WhatsApp ain't going to solve the climate crisis, right? That, no disrespect to TikTok, which has many pleasures. We, we've got to get our focus back. We can get our focus back. I learned how... Um, we've got to start, we've got to start to go, that that fight has already begun. I've seen it in so many places. We've got to join the people who are doing the fight and and we we can win this one because no one wants kids who can't focus and pay attention. No one looks at a child who can't pay attention and think, oh, that's all fine. I've never heard any parents say, my kid can't pay attention. I'm so proud, right? That's not how we feel. We can all see when we look at our children. And obviously a lot of the book is about how we can solve this for our kids. No one thinks when they look at their children and they can't pay attention that that's fine. They can see that's going to mean they struggle more in life. We can solve this. I'm really optimistic we can solve it. But it does require a shift in consciousness. You know, we are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own minds. And together we can take them back. And it does take compassion towards ourselves, doesn't it? It's not your fault. I used to be so angry with myself. What's wrong with you? Why can't you resist these distractions? But once you understand it's not your fault, this is being done to you. This is being done to your children. This is being done to everyone we know. Then you can see being angry with yourself is it's putting your energy in completely the wrong direction, right? What we've got to do is be angry with the forces that have done this to us while also helping ourselves. So much passion, so much enthusiasm. I want to thank you so much for writing the book, uh, but also for giving some time, man. I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, I really do feel the groundswell moving uh, and the movement has begun. All right, brilliant. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. I meant to say at the end of every interview, or my publishers tase me. Anyone, anyone who wants to know where to get the audio book, the ebook or the physical book can go to stolenfocusbook.com where they can also, I meant to say, 
You can also see what a range of people from Oprah to Hillary Clinton have said about the book. Um, and you can also listen for free to audio of loads of the experts that we've talked about and all the people in New Zealand who uh, did that amazing work. So you can listen to them for free. Yeah, it's got to be overwhelming when you, you can say names like Oprah ha- have read your book. It's, it's amazing, man. Wow. <laughs> Whenever she phones me, I literally almost have like a heart attack. I'm just like, yeah, like I will never get over that. Also, because I was literally obsessed with Oprah when I was a child and teenager. So for me, like I know for anyone to be wrong by Oprah would be like amazing. But for me, it's literally like, it must be how Catholics feel when the Pope brings them, right? Like the, the yeah, I, I'm very, very, yeah. The, I, I basically, I am aware that now I've been praised by Oprah, my life is completely peaked and everything else will just be downhill from here. But that's fine. I'm I'm very happy with that being the peak. Yeah, well, it's certainly on my bucket list as well to be praised by Oprah, maybe one day. Johan, thank you so much again, brother, for your time, for writing this book. I want to encourage everybody out there, this will change your life. Read this book, Stolen Focus. Thank you, brother. Bye. Thank you so much to Johan and for more head to johanhari.com and for the deep dive, I would say this book is the book I recommend to the most people right now. Get yourself a copy of Stolen Focus. For me, more than anything, this was a really hopeful conversation just really to take back a little bit of control. But of course, we would love to hear what you thought of it as well so you can connect with us at wearewellbeings.com or at wearewellbeings on all socials. And of course, if you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review or just send it to a friend. Thank you to everyone that made this possible, especially our producers at Hello Television. Most importantly though, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.